Welcome to the Clemson Dubcast. Happy New Year, everybody. Well, as promised, part two of our best of the Clemson Dubcast in 2023. We got the biggest hitters today in David Pollock, Jeff Scott, and Lucas Glover. Great stuff on all counts from three voices you're probably going to recognize. My good friends Blake Smith and Brooke Archenhold have been part of the podcast since the beginning, way back in August of 2018. They have an accomplished team of personal injury attorneys at Parm Smith and Archenhold based in Greenville. They are Clemson people, and their skillful attorneys have decades of experience in complicated litigation matters, taking a special interest in medical malpractice, nursing home abuse, and neglect car accident cases that have left the individuals involved in serious trouble. For a free consultation at Parm Smith and Archenhold, call 864 864- 9904581 or online at parhamlaw.com. That's P A R H A M law.com. Upstate Foodies. Want to take a moment to talk to you about our favorite taco spot, Willie Taco. Five locations across the upstate. This award winning team has been serving up fresh taco fusion for a solid decade now. The chefs at Willie Taco utilize the freshest, most creative, and sometimes unexpected ingredients in their kitchens. Come see why Southern Living, Garden and Gun, and Food and Wine Magazine are raving about Willie Taco and their signature offerings such as their Southern Tide, Crispy Avocado, Nashville Hot Chicken Tacos, literally flavors you will not find anywhere else, folks. And don't forget about the cocktails, super fresh margaritas, ice cold cerveza, and over 80 tequilas served up daily from behind the bar. So don't wait, folks. Your Willy Taco Familia is ready to serve you up their twist on funky fresh fusion. It's the Willy Way. Solero Communications, formerly known as Tandem Payment, is a full-service integrated electronic payments provider powered by leading-edge technology. Solero provides Provides a wide array of merchant solutions, simplified payments. They make onboarding, taking payments, maintaining risk management and compliance, and getting support quick and easy. At Solero, they're all about helping you achieve sustainable growth as a business. Taking payments isn't the only thing your business needs. With Solero's solutions, you can manage inventory, sell products and services via social media, schedule staff, track sales, get reports, and much, much more. Find out more about Solero at solerocommerce.com. That's C-E-L-E. Man, you don't remember me, but I remember you. I covered Georgia when you were there for the Augusta Chronicle, and uh, great memories, man. Um, I remember when you came up to Clemson in 2003. What'd you do? You stripped Charlie Whitehurst? Was that what it was? No, nah, he threw he threw me a nice little interception on a tunnel screen. <laughs> That's right. It was a, it was a it was a tunnel screen. It's funny. It's a it's a good story for Cle- not for Clemson's fans. It's not a good story, but like I remember, I was I was beating their their left tackle pretty good, and uh, I remember they put this little tiny guy in. Like, and I th- I want to say I'm pretty positive he was like third on the depth chart. <laughs> and I remember lining up on third down, and I was like, there is no way that in this situation they're going to ask him to block me. Surely a screen or something's coming. And they ran a little tunnel screen, and I and I literally just as soon as the ball was snapped, I kind of got my hands up and I picked it off. And then being the idiot I am, I tried to run Charlie over. I had no desire to score a touchdown. I was running right at him to try to put him on my hood. So, But, yeah, that was uh, – Clemson fans, that was 30 to nothing Georgia just on that day, just letting you know. They remember. <laughs> <laughs> That's some amazing situational awareness there, man. I know this guy is not going to be expected to block me, so I'm going to go out into the flat here. I mean, that's that, – is that not impressive? Uh, I mean, it's just, you know, you get to, after you play football for all those years, you start to get a, a little bit of a thought process. I, I will say this, after coaching kids now from six years old growing up, um, now coaching high school football, I, I would say that's the one thing that I probably missed, uh, misdiagnosed the most about myself is you can talk about athleticism and you can talk about all the different parts of being a great athlete. Some people can process information really fast on the go, and some people can't. And you can't teach that element of it, um, but it's a huge part of athleticism that, that I think is vastly underrated when you start thinking about it because you just it's just people that can really do that on the fly and think and think in the game situations and all that stuff goes into – man, all that stuff goes into being a great athlete. I mean, there's so much – that goes into what you see on these guys on you know Saturdays or Sundays or vice versa. The three things I remember from that game in 2003, hot as anything. Oh, it was hot. Oh, yeah, it was hot. <laughs> Noon came just sweltering. The second thing I remember, I mean, Clemson fans were jacked for that game. Like, there was, there was real anticipation. Really early, David Green goes hard play action and hits Fred Gibson. Fred Gibson just toasts. 
Justin Miller, who was their stud, Clemson stud quarterback. Yeah. Uh, and then I remember, and I, this is what I'm getting to. I want to see if you remember this. Because Cle- every single Clemson fan who was alive then remembers this about that game. The starting center for Clemson, Tommy Sharp, vomited on the football before vomited. he scored. Yes, that was disgusting. That was except that was exceptionally gross. That was the one time that I really appreciated playing defense and making making sure I didn't have to touch the pigskin. So were you on were you on the line at that point? Like, uh, did you see it? Oh, I saw it for sure, a hundred thousand percent. You were yeah, on you the field. I don't remember if I was on the field or not, I, I, but I vividly remember that moment. I can promise you that. I, I can't remember if I was on the field or not, but we were all like that, gagging, gag reflexes. So good. David, all right. This is a tribute to you, I think, and the, and the professionalism that you carried yourself with, the respect that you earned uh, at ESPN. You know how crazy fans are. Um, it's just tribalism. You know, like they, they're con- every fan base is convinced that every media, every talking head is out to get them, uh, that they only bash their team. And when you were let go, unfortunately, um, during the off season, the, the 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 vastly common sentiment was, what in the world? And I'm talking about Clemson fans here. Was he was? What is going on here? David was fantastic, you know. So I I think that's a tribute to you that even in these times that we're in, when uh, you know fan bases are 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 coming up with all sorts of reasons to think that whatever talking head is against them that. Um, you commanded respect from the fanatics, and I think that's probably the highest compliment that one could could, could have in that moment. No, that is that is a great compliment. Um, you know, listen, it's a it's an interesting business, and and I think if you're not if you're doing it right, I think you probably have a lot of people that are going to disagree with you. You know, because if you're making bold statements and you're saying that so and so can't, I mean, I mean, think about it. Like I. I uh, I was very clear. I would say, I think it was about two and a half years ago. Now I was, I was the first person to talk about Dabo Sweeney in the transfer portal. Mm. I mean, I, I was very upfront. I was like, listen, this reminds me a lot of coach K coach K refused the one and done era. He, and then all of a sudden coach K changed his mind. He, he got into the one and done world and he got to win another championship. And I think Dabo's going to have to do the same thing. So I think, Listen, I think there's there's mutual respect, which is cool. Um, but also a bunch of people in Clemson, too, that are, um, you know, that's a different fan base. I mean, that's just the way they run their organization, the, the fans. I visited there coming out of high school. I mean, it's hard not to love that place. And um, so definitely got a lot of respect for the, the Clemson fans and definitely appreciate um, the respect shown. Uh, and, and, and it appreciated the hate, too, by the way. Like when I picked against Clemson or I said something you know, negative about Clemson, they were also the first ones to come yelling at you, you know, which, which is part of it. And it's the awesome part of it. And it's the part that I literally used to say, if I'm not getting that hatred, I'm not doing my job. That means I'm not calling a spade a spade. You know how many times that I've been called Benedict Arnold in Athens, Georgia? <laughs> I mean, Athens, Georgia, like all them folks are like, how can he pick against Georgia? Like, how can he? I'm like, bro, I don't think you're going to win every game. I'm sorry. Like at, at some point there's, there's just a, there's a chance you guys might lose, you know? And so uh, I think it's uh, it's a part of the business and it's the fun part for sure, man. How long did you spend doing it for ESPN? Shoot, uh, I think 14, 15 years. Wow. Ish. When did you, were you just always, did you always have that sort of part of you that's like, you know, I'm just going to call it like I see it, man. I'm going to call a spade a spade. Or did you grow into that and learn to do that? Or was it just naturally in you to begin with? Uh, that's, I think that's naturally born in me. I, I'm, a, I'm a natural contrarian. Um, I definitely have the, if somebody's going to call it red, I'm going to call it, you know, orange, you know, I, I have, a, I have that naturally in me. I've always kind of been like that. Unfortunately, so does my daughter, by the way, um, which can be super, super hyper annoying. Um, but no, that's, that's always kind of been my personality. I, I don't just go with what people tell me. I kind of want to know why. And if I disagree, I, I'll kind of let you know. Uh, but I'll say this, when I got to game day, I would say when I got to game day, it's kind of the first time I've done television where they kind of reeled me in. You know, now I think you watch television and you go, man, these guys say kind of whatever they want, whatever they feel. 
I was probably one of those guys that was, was over the top and said what I felt and was not nice all the time. And, um, but they really reeled me in because that wasn't what game day, the show was about like that show, you know, back in the day was about, you know, everybody got along. Everybody was kind of, you know, uh, everybody was very respectful, the same type of opinion, agree, but agree, you know, disagree with really nicely and tactfully. And, and so it was a different era with television, uh, when I came in. So I was actually kind of coached out of that. some, you know, when I started my uh, career, so I, I definitely was born with that in me. How do, I know how you took the news because I watched uh, a podcast that you did recently and I, I followed sort of the aftermath of you getting laid off. But for those who, who aren't uh, who aren't aware of, of it, how, can you just take us back to when it happened and, 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 and sort of how you process, process it at the beginning? Well, it was this summer and we were about to go on a trip um, – to actually go to go to Maine and to Boston with the family and my phone rings and it was one of the main guys at ESPN. And I was like, that's interesting. And something, a part of me just was like, "Uh Oh, (laughs) that didn't, it didn't really settle. And then he told me the news, man. And it was just like, Whoa, okay. Um, cause you know, usually ESPN makes a bunch of cuts every year, but you know, game day is typically not a show that has changed a lot. And, um, so it was definitely a huge surprise, um, and then it was like, Oh my goodness. Okay. You know, I told my wife right away. And then, um, I think the hard part was the hardest part by far was, was two things was one was telling my wife and or excuse, one was telling my kids. Mm. I did not think that would be difficult, but telling them Leah, my daughter all of a sudden was like, well, wait a minute, are, are we, are we going to be okay? You know? And like, she kind of got a little bit upset and I was like, Oh crap. You know, like, no, we're fine, baby. Like God's guys. And, um, and then telling Reese, because Reese is my dude. I mean, Reese is my guy on the road that I, I mean, I just, I did life with Reese. I just love Reese so much. I have somewhat, a tremendous amount of respect for Reese and who he is. And, you know, kind of look at him as a, definitely a big brother figure. And uh, so that was really, really hard. But man, it was just, you know, it's just one of those things that happens in life. And that's the way it works, right? Like, I, I definitely am not one of those guys that are going to uh, cry because something's over. I'm going to smile because it happened. And immediately just thought about, man, what an awesome ride. You know, mm. I got to do that for, for like 12 plus years on college game day and travel the world and see the country. And I'm like, dude, how cool is that? And, and so I was just very appreciative for the opportunity. And then I, I sent, I sent out a message of that and, um, you know, it, it was, it was well received, I think by a lot of people, it was super nice and a lot of good comments like you were talking about with, you know, with Clemson fans and, and fans across the country. And it was just, um, you know, it was really cool to see that, you know, you kind of had an impact, you, that people enjoyed what you did. And I, I was just, just very thankful that, that I got the opportunity to be able to do that. And now I was interested in, in what's next, you know. What were the first two weekends, or I guess three weekends, including week zero, like for you as you're on the outside looking in? Awesome. <laughs> I mean, fan flipping tassel. And I say that, man, because – you know, like during this, during the day, during the week, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of balls to the wall with, you know, coaching high school football. Um, my daughter plays volleyball. My son plays, plays football and we're going from game to game and, and, and match to match, whatever you call volleyball things. I don't even know. We just started that this year. Um, and, uh, busy and, and dude, the last couple of Saturdays, it's been really cool because I remember I get I, nine o'clock, my workout group, we, we work out, we play pickleball for, you know, an hour, an hour or so. And like, so I come in the house at like 11 something, I sit down, I make some food. It's 12 o'clock. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, the games are starting. <laughs> like it, I have nothing to do. This is amazing. Like I'm going to sit here on my fat rear end and do absolutely nothing. Like I think it was, um, man, it was just super awesome. You know, just, to to feel that. And, and now I understand why my buddies every year during the season, are like just can't wait till football season gets here. And I can't wait till Saturday gets here. Well, I was traveling, you know, I was always working and gone and doing this. And now I get it. Now I see why y'all love Saturdays so much. And, um, you know, the first Saturday, my son and daughter were like, Hey, I want to go to the Georgia game. Boom. We scooted down the road. We went to the Georgia game. Um, you know, starting to play a little bit of golf on Saturdays now with, with my son, like, Hey, start some new traditions, do some new different things. And, uh, so it's been, it's been fan flipping tastic. How old are your kids? My son is 15 and my daughter is uh, 13. Gotcha. It's, it's funny. Uh, coincidentally this morning, Jeff Scott, or maybe, maybe last night. Anyway, 
the former head coach South Florida, you know, a former assistant coach at oh, Clemson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's living in Clemson now uh, with his family, and he's not working. And there were some pretty rampant rumors back in January when, when Garrett Riley uh, came aboard at Clemson that Jeff Scott was also coming aboard. And so Jeff had a little tongue-in-cheek um, tweet, uh, and he had a video well, first of all, he said the rumors are true. I think I'm, I think I'm remembering this right. I am, in fact, I have, in fact, returned to Clemson to coach, and it has a video of him coaching his daughter's uh, soccer youth soccer team. That's and, amazing. And just watching it, I got a little weepy because I'm like, man, I remember my daughter's on that same field, doing that same thing, playing that same sport, and the fact that Jeff gets to experience that and is choosing to experience that. I mean, you're not choose. you know, you didn't choose your path uh, recently, but the fact that both of you are getting to experience that, I think is uh, <clears throat> really uh, precious, precious times, you know, uh, being around your children at, at this, at whatever ages yours are much older than his, but, but still amazing. Oh, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, you know, I, I don't, uh, I don't take it for granted. I mean, I, you know, listen, my job was really awesome and I, and I appreciated my job and I loved what I was doing and I would still be doing it if I wouldn't have gotten, you know, let go. But here's the thing, like there's beauty in everything. And, and in every situation, like God's teaching us something, he's going to show us something and reveal us something. But I was gone a couple of days a week for 17 weeks in a row. So you can slice it however you want to. I mean, the bottom line is I was gone. You know, I wasn't gone in the out of season at all. But like, I'm I'm at every volleyball match for my baby girl. I'm at I'm coaching coaching her eighth grade basketball team. You know, this year, I'm at all of my son's stuff. I'm gonna be at all of their stuff. So there's definitely some some beauty in that. There's some beauty in slowing down and um, you know being at home and being in a routine. I, I thoroughly enjoy too. Like not leaving every weekend. You know, I know I'm going to be at home and this is simple, but I'm like a foodaholic, by the way. Like I am a, I'm a psycho on my diet. Like it would, this would be a whole nother podcast. Like I eat the same <laughs> meal every single day. Like I am so very disciplined in what I do and being home every single day really allows me to get all of my, what I want to get in my, my food, my workouts, my walking, like my, my, my regimen um, I thoroughly enjoy. And now I get to kind of get that set. So more time with my bride, more time with my babies. I got four more years with both of my babies in the house. And then, you know, then my son's gone. And then my daughter's got one year after that. So, I mean, just this season for, to be able to push a reset and really reevaluate, like, what do you want to do when you grow up? Like, yeah. What do you want to be? What's important to you? Like, it's, it's been an awesome process. The art, I call it the art of the possible lately. Like, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What's next? What, what, what is going to get you out of bed and go, dude, I want to do that. That makes me excited. That makes me happy. Um, so those are conversations, man, and things that have been swirling around and conversations that I've had that have been awesome. Well, all right. You got to tell me about the diet. Well, I, again, this is going to be boring as crap to probably most people, but like I eat the same food every single day. And I'm boring, but I know what I, I know what I want from a macro standpoint. And so like every morning I have an egg, three quarters carton of egg whites, uh, and 80 grams of oats. That's my, that's my breakfast. And that's going to be in the 10 to one o'clock window. Um, and then my second meal is going to be the same thing every day. It's going to be blueberries. It's going to be Greek yogurt, you know, plain Greek yogurt without any sugar, and then I'm going to have uh, skinny pop, my skinny pop popcorn. Skinny pop is probably the most amazing popcorn in the history of the world. <laughs> like I need an endorsement from skinny pop because it's that kind of good. Um, and so, and that's my second meal. And then my third meal is a big meal at night. And that's where my wife is going to cook and we'll have, you know, shrimp, chicken, steak, you know, something to that capacity. And then I'll have some rice with it or um, a, a carb with it and some fruit and some vegetables. So that's, it's the same thing every single day. It's, it's, it's very repeatable. Can you take me through your process during the week back when you were when, when you were uh, working for ESPN and traveling for 17 weeks? It's not just leaving Thursday or whenever. You're also having to do a lot of homework during the week. Can you take me through that, the, the typical routine for you? 
Yeah. And if, if you want to be good, you got to study, right? Yep. Like if you want to be good, you want to know, you know, what you're talking about. I don't want to read. I was not a big fan of reading people's articles and taking their word for it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I put a lot of time in, into watching tape and watching games and, um, and that, and by the way, that also requires, you know, Saturday and that requires, you know, some Sunday and Monday, you know, usually I put my kids to bed and my, my wife would go to sleep and I'd stay up till two or three in the morning watching all the games. So I'm caught up. So I'm ready to know what I want to discuss the next week. So, you know, you're, you're, you're chasing your kids around, you're, you're making the most of it. But a lot of times it ends up being where I was burning the, the end of the night, the burning the midnight oil, right? Like I was staying up later than I needed to, to make sure that I got everything in. And, um, now I watch it. And, and by the way, I still can't turn my brain off. Like I don't, I don't watch football games like a fan. I just don't. I don't have that ability in me. Like I'm watching personnel groupings. I'm watching defense. I'm watching the chess match. I just, I just always have. I love that part, the component of the game. Um, so I'm still watching, but I just don't have to get in the weeds as much. You know, I don't have to know everything about every conference and everybody who was going on all over the place and, and be ready to talk about it. So I just get to be a fan and follow what I want to follow. And, um, which are still the main things in college football. You know, I'm tuned into uh, every, every big game every weekend because it's just, it's fun to watch. All right. Joined by Jeff Scott. It's nine Oh four on a, on a Tuesday. Have you gotten the the soccer install in? Like how, how, how early did you get up this morning with your game plan and the four and under and all that stuff? It's got to be stressful. (laughs) Uh, It is. We have our uh, third and final practice of the season uh, tonight (laughs) at six 15. So um, what I've learned through my first two practices is uh, really our our best drill that we've done, and this is no joke, this is 100% truth, the best drill we've done is put them in a circle and let them play duck, duck, goose, (laughs) and then whenever they get tagged as the goose, they have to get up and go kick the ball in the goal. That that is the only drill that we've done that's been able to keep keep their attention for longer than three minutes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I really laugh thinking about, you know, the two weeks leading up to our first practice, you know, which was last week. And for two weeks, uh, you know, I've never coached soccer. I've definitely never coached three and four year olds. So, I mean, I'm, I, I watched at least 10 to 12 hours of YouTube videos on how to coach <laughs> youth soccer. And by the way, for anybody looking out there, it really starts at about five years old. There are no videos with three and four year olds, by the way. So maybe that was my first warning. But I put in over 12 hours of watching all these videos. I mean, I typed up a, a practice script. You know, it's four. 45 minutes. So just like in football, we have five minute periods. So I had nine periods written out. And so I was going to start with stretching and I thought long and hard about what kind of stretching we could do. So I get out there. I mean, we're in literally the first minute of practice. I've got them circled up and I'm like, okay, here we go. Touch your toes. And one out of the 10 kids touch their toes. The other one sits down. My son gets up, runs over, and grabs a soccer ball. And so I realized real quickly in the first 30 seconds, this practice plan I have in my back pocket is not going to (laughs) work. And so it was the longest 45 minutes of my life uh, trying to figure all that out. And having all these parents, obviously, with that age, the parents stay and watch. (laughs) <laughs> and having them watch watch me, and they're thinking coming in, well, this guy's coached for 20 years. I can't wait to see what he does with them today. And I was out of my element, and uh, I think my wife was really uh, enjoying it. Uh, but yeah, that was our first practice. We have our third and final practice tonight which we may play uh, Duck, Duck, Goose for 45 minutes. And then uh, we start our games on Thursday, and uh, I think we have eight games. But, no, it, it's a lot of fun and uh, definitely, a, uh, you know, just a, a new chapter that I'm really uh, trying to, to, to take in as much as I can. You have made cutthroat decisions in the heat of the hottest moments, national championship games 10 15 million people watching but i don't think you were joking when you said the pressure of a few onlookers a few parents that's very real right 
Oh, it was it was very real. I mean, obviously, <laughs> when, when I'm when I'm coaching football, I mean that's all I've known my entire life, right? I could invite anybody to come and watch that because that's what I know. That's what I've done my whole life. But when you get put in that situation and you really have no idea, uh, you know what what to do in this situation, and you realize there's no stop and like go ask somebody for help, it's like no this. This clock's uh, rolling here. You got 45 minutes to figure it out. So uh, we we uh, learned on the fly, and and uh, you know they like doing the breakdown at the end. You know when everybody puts their hand in and you, you count down. You know uh, one, two, three. Uh, we're team orange, so one, two, three, orange. That was probably their favorite part of the practice. And it was my favorite part, too, because the practice was over and I could go uh, catch my breath. Uh, but, yeah, it's it's definitely a, a, a unique challenge. I, and I put in, my, in that tweet, I just put, hey, you know, hats off to all of our youth coaches out there. I had no idea how difficult uh, this was, uh, but I'm, I'm gaining a lot of respect, uh, you know, day by day. I was speaking with uh, Mickey Plyler yesterday, congratulating him on his new arrival, second child. <clears throat> and your name came up, and, and he mentioned that his son Drake is on the team, and he's not happy with the playing time his son has gotten so far. Is there anything <laughs> you can do? Uh, the truth is, Drake is one of my all-stars. Uh, yeah, that, that was the other part. I wasn't sure if Mickey put it out there, but I guess I can now that he said that. Yeah, not only do I have all these parents watching, I got Mickey Plyler watching. <laughs> I'm like, man, he's going to be giving an update the next morning uh, there that, hey, Scott has literally lost his mind. He has no control of these kids. What's he doing? You know, so that just added to the pressure. But, uh, no, his son Drake is, is awesome and has done a great job, and and uh, I think he's going to be my, my Sammy Watkins of uh, this season for sure. Is this at Nettles or over at the YMCA fields? Yeah. Nettles? Yeah, this is, uh, Clem- this is Clemson Nettles, and uh, we had a draft actually uh, the week before our first practice. We had a draft, so my wife, who knows the other moms, is looking down the list and kind of getting my, my order of draft picks. And uh, so, of course, I, there's a lot of uh, Clemson coaches and you know, support staff kids that are going to play. So I've got a lot of them highlighted. And, uh, you know, and Fletcher Anderson, who I played with, one of my teammates uh, at Clemson, uh, was a kicker for us. You know, he's he's been coaching youth leagues around here for a while. He actually showed up late for the meeting, so he gets to sit in the, <laughs> the first chair right by the door, and then he gets the first pick. And he picks all of my kids, all the coach, Clemson coaches' kids, which are all the kids I was going to pick. He takes them all right there. And now I'm scrambling, you know, just picking the uh, – Plyler was the only name that I really knew on there. So uh, that's kind of what I, I got left with, I guess. It was so wild reading your tweet and the video you posted, and and I I got a little a little weepy. It was it's just cool to see you know somebody else going through the same sport, the same place, you know, the same age. There's just something special about uh, growing up, you know, your kids being raised in the same spot, and you see other parents going through the same thing that you did um, years ago. And we, we did it at the – we started at the YMCA over there, um, over there where the, uh, you know, where the, the beaches and all that, um, I guess, right. still are. But the, right. the Clemson students were coaches uh, during that time, I guess through some sort of internship and – I sure. remember one of our coaches wearing a cape, you know, just to try to keep the <laughs> keep the kids keep the kids' attention. And so I don't, I don't know if you'll ultimately graduate to the YMCA thing or not, but but one of the one of the indelible memories I have, <clears throat> like sometimes sometimes you got the college student coaches who just weren't very interested in in coaching, and so they're on their cell phones sure. and things like that, and that's natural. I don't sure. think it's the you know, uh, uh, right. the worst crime in the world. But uh, one time our coach just didn't show up for a game. And <laughs> and we're standing there, and Mike Noonan's daughter just happened to be on my daughter's team, and they were friends. And and Noonan just happened to be there. It was a rarity because I think he's really busy during the, <laughs> during the spring. Sure. I'm probably recruiting and doing all that stuff. Right. And so Mike and I are standing there, and we're like, well – uh, I guess we're not going to have a coach today. Um, and Mike said, I guess I'll coach him. And I swear, <laughs> I, our, our team had not scored a goal in three games. Like, it was it was that bad. And Mike wow. got the group together, and whatever message he imparted, it was largely to do with fun. 
Um, but <laughs> they scored a goal 30 seconds into that match, and it was like one of the best moments, maybe the best oh, moment of the great. season. They go on to score like three goals in that game. And um, Anyway, my point is, I almost, after I saw your, your video, I almost went deep into one of my external hard drives to find some old videos of those <laughs> days, but I, I couldn't really take the... Uh, it would have been too many tears, probably, but that's it's really cool to see. Yeah, I think I probably need to call Coach Noonan after hearing that story and find out what that message was and see if it uh, will continue to work today. That's a, that's a good lead for me. Thank you. I, lo- I love how you creatively, in the tweet, you said, uh, paraphrasing, you said, it is accurate that I am now, I've returned to Clemson to coach. <laughs> it's a, can, we, can we go back to the... Back in January, I mean, it was a sensation when 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 Dabo pulled off the major coup of getting Garrett Riley. Somehow, I guess people got some sort of mistaken notion that you were also coming back. And and of course, as things do these days on social media, it ran wild. And Garrett Riley and Jeff Scott are now running the offense. So can we go back to that and what your uh, what your reaction to that was in the moment? Uh, sure. So after uh, we finished there in Tampa, you know, at the end of last year and my wife and I talked about it, uh, you know, we decided that, you know, we wanted to come back to Clemson and this is really home for us. And, you know, our really our number one goal is to be able to, to raise our kids uh, right here in Clemson. I think uh, many coaches that kind of work their way up uh, like I was able to do in our, our coaching profession and, you know, become a head coach and, uh, you know, realize maybe towards that part of their career that from a financial standpoint, you know, they can start making, you know, different decisions of where they want to live and where they, you know, um, you know, what they want to do. And I think most coaches that do that maybe are in their 50s and their, their kids are already out of the house. And it was kind of my situation was a little unique in that I kind of, you know, reached that uh, point. Um, but I had a three-year-old and a, a seven-year-old uh, at home. And so I think what Sarah and I, you know, talked about after uh, finishing up at South Florida is, man, we, we really want to go back to Clemson and really raise our, our family right there in Clemson. And that's something that, you know, as a coach, uh, I didn't really know would be a possibility whenever I started my coaching profession. I mean, my dad honestly tried to talk me out of going into college coaching. He really was pushing me hard to, to stay in high school because he knows how difficult it can be with the coaches moving. I mean, I've got some of my buddies that are my age uh, in the college coaching profession that have been to eight or nine schools in the same, you know, 20 years that, you know, I've been fortunate to really, you know, be at two schools. And so anyways, we made that decision. So we moved back in January, the beginning of January. And really the, the plan was to, to take some time and really maybe, uh, take at least one year off and spend with the t- family. And, you know, you know, obviously my last few years at Clemson, you know, I mean, those were long seasons, right? They're exciting seasons, but they were long. I mean, we played 14 or 15 games, you know, those last, uh, you know, three seasons or so. And then you move straight into a head coaching position where you're trying to, you know, really turn around a, a program. And uh, there's a lot of hours and time that goes into that. And uh, so, when uh when I kind of got off the treadmill there at the the end of uh the year last year, I just really said let's go back to Clemson, and um, let, let's spend some time there. Uh, obviously, Coach Sweeney, you know, checked on me. I mean, he he uh you know uh, whenever he heard the news down in, in at Tampa, he he gave me a call that night and we visited and we you know just touched base and really it was more of a personal uh phone call where he's just kind of checking on me and you know and I told him that hey I'm. I'm coming back to Clemson. Um, that's going to be my location. I'm not sure on occupation, you know, exactly, you know, what I want to do or, or pursue right now. And that's really uh, what happened. So I think, uh, you know, I put out a tweet maybe the beginning of January, our first week back. Uh, we went and ate at the new walk-ons uh, there downtown. And so I, I took a picture of maybe my kids standing in front of that, this, you know, beautiful picture there of, you know, uh, Clemson backdrop. And so I took a picture of Hunter and Savannah there and just said something like, you know, great to be home or something like that. And so I think a lot of people maybe just assumed uh, because of my 12 years that I spent on staff that I was coming, since I was coming back to Clemson, then I automatically was coming back into some sort of role as an analyst or recruiting or something like that. And uh, the, the difficult part of it uh, was 
whenever you would see random people, you know, in the grocery store or, you know, at a restaurant, just walk by and speak, which is all great. And they just say, hey, coach, we're glad to have you back, you know, and good luck this year. Well, it's kind of <laughs> awkward to like stop them and say, like, raise your hand and say, well, actually, I'm not coaching. <laughs> You know, and try to explain why. And so I, I never, I never like gave them affirmative that I am. I just always said thank you and kind of waved, you know, and acknowledged them and left it like that because it would take too much time to sit down and give my 10 minutes of, you know, why I'm taking some time off with my family. Uh, so yeah, I, I did get that. And, you know, for the, whenever maybe that got out that night and I was getting a lot of text messages from, you know, different people and, Again, on the text message, the first five ones, I tried to explain to them that it's not accurate and I'm not doing it, but that was taking too long. So then I just started giving everybody a thumbs up, you know, thank you. <laughs> and just <laughs> leaving it like that. So they'll, they'll figure it out at, at, at some point. But no, we, we, we love, uh, being back in Clemson. And, uh, I mean, we, we've made the decision. The only decision that we really made, uh, about, you know, our family's future is that, we're putting down roots right here and we're going to raise our kids, uh, right here in Clemson because, I mean, this is home, uh, for us. We've lived here 12 of the last 15 years. Uh, I met my wife, Sarah, uh, as freshman here at Clemson. All her family lives in South Carolina. They all went to Clemson. My mom and dad are back and, uh, my dad's retired living over there in Seneca. So, you know, this is home for us. And, you know, I think over time I'll kind of figure out you know, what direction I, I want to do from an occupation standpoint. Uh, but uh, right now we're just enjoying uh, being back here in Clemson. Yeah, I'll never forget around that time. I, would, I was getting texts from people. They were saying, like, I just saw Jeff Scott's wife at Lowe's. And I just saw <laughs> that Jeff Scott just dropped his kids off at Clemson at elementary school. And I'm like, yeah, they're here. Like, I don't know what else to say. They're, they moved back. Well, what, what, one funny story on that. Uh, we hadn't been back maybe three days. We literally moved back, I think, January 1st. And uh, we hadn't been back three days. And uh, we were out uh, at a restaurant. And I was with my wife and my daughter, Savannah, who's seven. And my son Hunter and um, uh, th at the restaurant we were kind of sitting out in the middle so you know there were several people probably three or four different people came by at different times and just said hey coach Scott we're so glad to have you you know back here in the upstate and the South Carolina and I kept saying thank you and and maybe after the second one my daughter Savannah kind of looked at me and she said what's going on <laughs> Like, how do these people know you? Like, she she had this, like, biggest mystery look on her face. And, you know, and I had forgotten that when she was in Clemson, you know, even though she had been on the stage at two national championship uh, games, you know, she was so young. You know, she was maybe three, three and a half whenever we left. So she didn't really have any idea. And then, you know, in South Florida, even though I was the, the head coach, Tampa's a, a, a big city, right? And there's a, there's a lot of other sports that kind of take priority there with the, the Bucks and the Lightning and the Rays and, and everything going on. So maybe she didn't uh, experience that as much there, but it, it wasn't two days we were back here and she was kind of like, time out, what's going on? This doesn't make sense. And uh, I just thought that was, you know, really funny uh, for her coming back three years later. Has it become any less awkward now socially now that people have gotten the message that you're not back with the staff yeah yeah and i and that was part of the reason too that i put out the, the soccer tweet is uh i wanted people to know you know that i'm, I'm not uh, coaching or on staff right now but yeah i think people have kind of figured that out and again it, it was never like this huge deal i mean i've again we we've lived in this community for 12 of the last 15 years so we have a lot of friends and uh you know people that we've known for a lot long time that are here and and uh so it really wasn't a, a huge deal you know at the beginning but yeah everything's everybody's kind of figured it out and and most people's reaction you know think it's you know cool that i'm taking some time right now just to kind of spend with the family and 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 enjoy that uh piece uh, as much as i can right now my stock answer that i give like on my message board when people ask uh do you think jeff We'll, we'll, you know, when when do you think he'll be back at Clemson? My stock answer is basically like, I don't know, but I, I would assume that, at, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if at some point in the near or, well, not near future, but in the future, 
that he maybe comes back in an administrative role with football or maybe even administrative role athletic department whatever with the university my answer is i you know it wouldn't my guess is that you're going to be back at clemson in some capacity at some point but i have no idea when is that pretty much is is that close to yeah, I, I, th- I, I think that i think that's pretty fair i mean um i mean obviously i've got a great relationship there with, with coach sweeney i've got a great relationship uh with graham neff uh, our great ad and um i mean I, I could see at some point um you know i definitely would love to at some point get back in, in some type of uh capacity if i'm gonna be here uh, obviously uh in town but i really uh when you say you don't know i think that's probably the most accurate answer because it'd be hard for you to know if i don't know <laughs> and uh so and, and i and i really don't but i'm not it's not something that uh i'm even thinking about honestly if i'm not even thinking about it i think you know a lot of times maybe when a coach uh gets let go from one job uh, they have a sense of urgency to to kind of go get on somewhere else because there's a fear that if you get out of coaching for too long then you know that you know ship has kind of sailed and you know, my situation is a little different in the fact that I've got, you know, heavy roots here uh, with Coach Sweeney, with Graham Neff, and uh, i got a, a great relationship with our, our president, Jim Clements, as well. And so I think that does afford me a little bit of time to to kind of, uh, you know, take this break. And I've used that analogy before, whether it's a halftime of a, a game or halftime of my career or, or even a timeout. You know, you're on a long drive, and sometimes you need to call that timeout and get everybody on the sideline, kind of catch your breath and, you know, refocus, recalibrate a little bit and then go back out there. And so that's probably, uh, you know, that's probably what this is for me. Uh, but honestly, I, I don't, I don't have a plan and, and I don't really think that I need one right now, uh, to truly be able just to, to, um, you know, take that off my shoulders right now. I've spent enough time in my career, right? Just worried about what the next step is going to look like. And, uh, now to have this point where I can really just kind of, um, you know, leave all that stuff to the side right now and enjoy my family. And then also, uh, you know, being able to uh, spend some time with my dad, you know, now that he's uh, retired, uh, you know, we try to play golf once every two weeks or so. And and um, so that, that's a, a really important thing to me as well, uh, being able to have time to, to do some of those things. When you are accustomed to going 150 miles an hour for a decade plus just about every day i mean that's just that's life as a as a high level college football coach and i would think that's how most of y'all are wired um i I mean obviously when it's in the immediate aftermath of suddenly having all this free time it's refreshing and all that but i would assume and maybe i'm assuming wrong that it also takes an adjustment to just uh, much more of a sedentary life that doesn't have that adrenaline and that sort of just the rushes and the heart, just the, like I said, the way most coaches are wired. Um, Has it, has it been an adjustment in any way so far? Just trying to, um, you know, fill the hours. Yeah, it it definitely uh, is an adjustment. Like you said, I mean, you know, you use the analogy of being on a treadmill and, you know, sprinting as fast as you can for as long as you can remember. And then you step off, you know, it's kind of like that. You know, as soon as you step off a treadmill, it's kind of like your your body feels like it's still running, but you're standing still. Right. And uh, so there is a little bit of that, I think. uh, and, And I'm figuring that out. I mean, really, for me, and I've always taken pride in trying to be an organized person and uh, I'm I'm never going to be a person that's going to you know sleep in till nine o'clock or something. So, I mean, I, I'm up by six o'clock every morning. I, I like to to get in some uh, exercise and, and work out in the morning. Uh, I enjoy taking uh, my my daughter to school in the morning. We're just right around the corner from uh, where she attends school, and uh, I think one thing that helps with that, and I kind of mentioned it earlier, is the fact that I have you know young kids still at home <laughs> mm-hmm. and uh you know uh, everybody thinks about you know the coach and the long hours and sometimes uh, and it's that way obviously in business too with, with people that are working a lot and sometimes they don't think about the wives that are home right and those coaches wives uh that, that that's a tough job at the house because your husband's gone you know 80 hours out of the week and even in the off season they're, they're gone recruiting and 
And, um, and you know, this, this age of, uh, maybe child rearing with, uh, Savannah actually is getting ready to turn eight, uh, later on this uh, coming weekend on Sunday. And, uh, and then Hunter, who just turned three, uh, last month, you know, <laughs> there's a lot of activity that goes with an eight year old and a three year old and, and, and everything. So I think that's helped me kind of fill some of those hours where I'm not just, sitting idly but you know one thing that i've enjoyed also is being able to, to watch games uh on a saturday i mean I, I sit in front of my tv pretty much from you know 12 noon until you know <laughs> 1 or 2 a.m watching college games and that's something as a college coach that you don't get to do you know you may be able to catch a few minutes here or there if you play a noon kickoff at home something like that but but being able to do that, and then the other thing that I've really enjoyed is, you know, watching NFL games on Sunday after we after we go to church and and, and have lunch to be able to sit there. I mean, I, I guess I have a YouTube TV as my provider, and they have this new deal where they have like the four boxes, oh, right? Yeah. You can watch different games. Well, I think it was this past Sunday I was watching that, and I I was watching some of our former Clemson players was in one of each of those games, right? <laughs> and so I'm like sitting here watching four games at once and I've got receivers or quarterbacks or whatever, defensive players from Clemson that are playing in these games. And that's something too that, you know, whenever you're coaching on Sunday, I mean, you're, you're putting the last game to bed, you're starting on the next upcoming opponent. And so I've enjoyed, you know, that on, on the weekends, being able to do that. And then you know, just, uh, you know, trying to keep up with the, the kids Monday through Friday. But yeah, there's no doubt it's, it's an adjustment and uh, it feels a little different when you're at home watching games on TV. Then, you know, you kind of maybe have, especially for that first game, you kind of have a little bit of that panic attack, kind of like that nightmare that maybe you have where you're supposed to be somewhere and you're not there and you're late and like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? Yep. And, uh, I actually have a funny story about that. So, you know, I was the, holder at Clemson my last three years uh, for field goals whenever I was playing at Clemson. And um, I had a year left, like my redshirt senior year, but I was ready to go. I was going to get married and I was ready to get a job and start coaching and get my coaching career going. And uh, so even though I had an extra year, I graduated and uh, went down to Columbia and was coaching at Ridgeview High School. So I come back for the very first game Right. So it's the first game since I played. It'd be the first game that I'm not the holder. And uh, if I remember the story correctly, I believe it was Gene Pate was going to be the new holder and running down the hill in the first game, he breaks his leg, literally coming down the hill. And I remember for about two minutes on the side, cause I'm staying on the sidelines and, uh, you know, just in street clothes. And cause I, again, I'm a teacher at Ridgeview and coaching high school football there. And for about two minutes, Going through my mind is like, oh my gosh, should I go in the locker room? Do I need to get dressed? Like I have a year of eligibility. Can I play? And then after about two minutes, I realized I'm not in school here. I'm not even eligible. But that literally, <laughs> that conversation was going through my head in that moment. Like, should I go get dressed? Am I going to be the holder for today? You know, and so a little bit of that, you know, watching, uh, you know, some games, uh, you know, the, the first week of the season is kind of like, Man, your body kind of feels like you're supposed to be there. Um, but also it's, it's good to be able to, to, to watch, you know, different people play and, and, um, you know, not have your, your livelihood on the line with, with every single snap uh, of a game. When you're ready for a complete renovation in your home or business, open the door to more with Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Their local experienced team will totally transform any room space from beautiful floor coverings to construction to finished details. Harris handles every step of your renovation process, whether it's a kitchen or living room or an industrial or educational setting, like some of the positively stunning work they've done at Clemson University. Go to discoverharris.com and experience a total renovation transformation from Harris Home and Harris Commercial. Another loyal supporter of the Dubcast is Blackacre Law Firm in Greenville, a subsidiary of Parham, Smith, and Archenthold. Blackacre helps South Carolina residents achieve their dreams of home ownership by providing experienced, professional representation for real estate closings. Attention to detail is crucial in real estate law. Blackacre is committed to making sure nothing gets by them preparing residential or commercial closings. Blackacre also offers estate planning services for their clients in the Greenville area. Find out more about Blackacre at 864-326-3507. 
want to share a quick word about Founders Federal Credit Union. If you've been to a sporting event in Clemson, you've probably heard about Founders already. They are the official credit union partner of the Clemson Tigers. In addition to that, all Clemson faculty, staff, and students are eligible for membership as well as ITTE members. Its office is located beside the Walmart neighborhood market on Old Greenville Highway in Clemson. For more information, go to foundersfcu.com. I'm not sure there's a better description of the just vicious nature of playing golf than your description of what turned for you. And it was basically an entirely, you know, not, not an adjustment to your putting stroke. It was basically, you had to trash everything you had learned before and learn a new motor skill, because as you said, so your brain had no scar tissue. You had to rewire your brain. And and as I'm listening to that, I'm like, I'm really glad I stopped playing golf uh, several <laughs> several years ago because that is it, man. Like, can we can we dig into that? And, and yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and I, but it but does digging into it and talking about it? Are you kind of reluctant to do that because of what we're talking about? You don't want to jinx it or whatever. Is that is it a tricky thing that way? No, I th- I think uh, and you know that's it's a it's kind of like. You know the weekend warrior golfers. They don't like to. They don't like to say the S word in golf, which is shank. <laughs> well, um, a lot of people don't like that short Y word either, which is yips. Yeah. But um, it's real. I mean, I, I have it. I had it. I have it. I know guys that have chipping yips that play the tour. I know guys that um, have have had the driver yips and fought that and beat it and came back to the tour and. Um, I know guys that didn't beat it and it took, it knocked them off the tour different and everybody's fighting something. But for me, um, working with Jason Kuhn, uh, who I've referenced a lot the last few months, Navy SEAL. And, and he was like, Hey man, who cares if you talk about it? It's, it's, it's a thing. It's not something you can run from. And, um, but yeah, it was, it was literally over a, over a short putt. I would, at times, um, have zero feeling in my hands and Jason, the way he described it, instead of it being a mental issue, it's actually a central nervous system issue. Your body is trying to protect you from something and you have involuntary, um, muscle spasms. And I'd never had it explained to me that way. And he was a baseball player and, you know, you can do some internet sleuthing, but he still has the record for most wild pitches in a game when he was, when he was pitching in the late nineties, early two thousands. And he was a stud closer, um, and was prepared to get drafted. And that knocked him out of baseball, uh, the, the pitching yips. And he kind of made his name working with some pitchers and, uh, my manager got got to know him and said, I think this guy can help you with what you're fighting. And he dabbled with some other golfers before, but nothing nothing as drastic as I had. And and he just took me through his experiences and how he eventually developed a way to attack it instead of running from it. And um and his background with baseball and then going into the SEALs was very uh, refreshing and eye-opening to me because he basically told me and proved to me that I was not mentally weak, that I was actually the complete opposite to be doing what I was doing for nine or 10 years at a still a pretty high level fighting what I was fighting, that I was probably as mentally tough as anybody to, to, to go in there and do it day in and day out and, and try to deal with it. What I didn't realize until working with him was that I was not going to beat it by practicing. In fact, it was probably hurting me to practice more, but I was, you know, I'm an athlete, I'm stubborn and I think I can out practice anything. And, uh, if there's anybody that's made more three footers on the putting green than me in the last 10 years, I need to meet them because I can assure you nobody has, but it didn't matter. Um, once I got in the arena, uh, I just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't beat it with what I was doing. So I was still using the short putter when Jason and I started and I was starting to see some progress and then I'd have a relapse and then I'd start to see some progress. And then, um, Brad Faxon, who's, um, 
uh, a great friend and, and I'd been working with him on my putting and he basically urged me to try the long putter uh, just to see what would happen and um, talking to Jason about it, talking to Brad about it, talking to some other people about it and it was more of what what I said and what you alluded to is that I needed just basically a, a complete new motor skill that had nothing to do with how I'd ever done it in the past. And, um, a lot of people have asked would, would Jason's methods have worked if I hadn't changed putters? And my answer to that is yes, but it would have taken longer. Um, but when I got the long putter on top of what Jason and I had already laid as a foundation and then built on that, um, you know, I even had some yippy stuff go on with the long putter the first few weeks and then uh, with my work with Jason and then learning my tendencies with the long putter, I was able to overcome it. And that's right, th- right at the time I went on that run, starting at uh, Rocket Mortgage in Detroit. And, um, you know, I'm still going to miss some putts. There, nobody's perfect and uh but realizing that i'm that i'm just human versus um fighting a an injury such as you know the yips and um very eye-opening and also why i've been more open to to just talk about it because if you don't talk about it and if you don't put it out there how are you going to fight it how are you going to attack it and um, it's been so cool hearing people not just golfers but just people that fight stuff and, and that are now more open to talk about it. And, you know, if I help one person down the road that can see what I went through and then overcame it, if I can help that one person, then I'm, I'm helping, I'm helping people too. And that's been very cool to hear and cool to listen to some people that, um, whether it be a basketball player with free throws or, um, you know, soccer players go through it with penalty kicks. I mean, it's in sport, it's so prevalent to have these mental blocks or physical blocks and um, to have somebody guide me down the path to, to overcome it and realizing that it's actually not mental uh, and that to, to go from where I was to where I am just proves that, 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 that I'm mentally strong. And if that message can get out to other people, um, uh, it's okay to talk about it. You got to attack it. You can't run from it. Um, and again, it's not just the yips. It's anything with, uh, with brain or mental or, um, even just physical blocks of, of things you can and can't do. So previous to this new way of addressing it and acknowledging it, did you, like when you were asked about it by say a media member or somebody else, would mm-hmm. you say, ah, I don't, I don't want to talk about it. Or how, how would you, how, how different was your, sort of response to it then at, in that mode of thinking? Well, honestly, I, it was so bad at times that, uh, and I played so poorly for, for long stretches that I didn't have to answer any questions about it because I wasn't playing well enough. Right. And I'm, that's not, that's me not trying to avoid your question, but, um, but you know, if you're not, if you're not on the leaderboard, nobody's going to talk to you. And so I didn't have to talk about it that much, but you know, four years ago, 2019, I made, I made the tour championship, um, fighting this because I hit the ball that year probably as well as I'd ever hit it. So I could almost, I couldn't screw it up because I was so close to the hole a bunch. But, um, but last hole of the 2019 tour championship playing with Dustin Johnson, where it did not matter one bit what I made on the last hole at East Lake, I four putted. And for no reason other than I just, I couldn't get in the hole. And, um, so I think, I think that's when people started realizing how bad it was. And, um, and after Greensboro and after Memphis, I, I told a couple of stories about, um, AT&T Pebble Beach one year and, 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 and at Bay Hill one year, had legitimate, uh, panic attacks, like, um, heart racing, short of breath, couldn't feel my hands. And I'm trying to, trying to hit a, hit a round object with a, flat face of a putter from a foot and a half and, and honestly did not know how I was going to do it. And, um, so, and I don't think people realized how bad it was or how bad it can be for, for people that are going through that. 
Um, but back to your question, I didn't have to talk about it much cause I wasn't, I wasn't on the leaderboard very much. Um, then all of a sudden, you know, play good for that stretch and start making putts. And now the, the elephant in the room is, is now, uh, available to talk about. And that's probably why it came out. Um, as much as it did is just from, from that stretch of golf we've been talking about and, and being, being on the leaderboard a bunch and being asked a bunch of questions. And then all of a sudden, Hey, why are you playing so good? Oh, I'm making, making putts and I'm not afraid to tap the ball in anymore. And it was all three short putts, three feet and in three to five feet and in. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in 2019, uh, I putted everything from inside six feet with my eyes closed um, which is a band-aid for people with the yips. Um, if you, if you're not looking at the ball, your body and your hands and your brain doesn't know where impact is. So you don't flinch at it. Well, eventually that eventually I out, uh, kind of outran that too and it didn't work anymore. And then, so I went to a type of putter called the arm lock. And if you, if you watch uh, like what Matt Kuchar did for years where the, the putter's a little bit longer and it rests on your left arm, um, uh, he does it on his right arm now, believe it or not, which is, um, which is amazing that he puts the way he does, having gone from uh, one arm to the other. But um, So I did that for a while and had a pretty good run with that. I, I, I won the John Deere in 21 doing that. Um, but again, it was mainly because of my ball striking. I, I hit it so close, I, 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 I didn't have a choice but to make some. Um, but yeah, it was uh, it was mostly short putts and uh, or o- only short putts. Um, but the the toll it took on my entire game, you know, if I had a twenty footer, I wouldn't be as aggressive as 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 say a, a player not fighting the yips because I was scared to roll it a foot by or two feet by and, and miss the next one. So all of a sudden I'm, I'm not aggressive and I'm, 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 I'm just kind of easing it up to the hole and not, not even trying to make them really. I'm just trying not to three putt from, from 20 feet. And, and that's no way to be as a, as a, as a tour player. Um, and as, as we've seen over the last few, few months, you know, my, my putting stats have increased because now I'm not as, freaked out about rolling it by two or three feet and, and missing it coming back. And that's when all of a sudden the rest of your game, uh, gets easier. Now you're not worried about hitting it perfect every time or worried about, you know, trying to chip in instead of chipping it to two feet and worried about missing them. So just the, the, the mental ease that, that it gave me and has given me, um, has just has eased things and eased things up for my, for my whole game, you know, all the way back to the tee box. This lasted nine or 10 years, you said? Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, uh, it was 2012 at, uh, at colonial in Fort worth. I four putted the fifth green, um, and, and had never had these issues like this before. Had I missed short putts? Sure. Who hadn't? But, uh, four putted the fifth green there at colonial. And at that point I started thinking, I said that I've never had that feeling before. And, uh, yeah, I've been, yeah, fought it, fought it ever since. And like I said, it would go in at the beginning, it would go in spurts when it, like when it mattered, I would, I would really kind of freak out or, or my body would freak out. And then, um, as time went on and as it, as, as that got worse and worse, it, it became a daily thing. Like where walking up on a green, I would walking up on a green. I would, I would be, I would be terrified of, is it going to happen? Or am I going to have one of those episodes or, um, so yeah, I fought it nine, 10 years. And, um, you know, like I said, it's, it's still there. I just have, I just have ways and, 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 and tools as, as Jason Kuhn would say, I got tools in my toolbox to, to, to attack it and, and not let it affect me. So the colonial, the four putt and the colonial, that was the first time you actually felt the, the lack of feeling in your hands that time. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, well, yeah, I remember walking off that green going that it was almost like it wasn't me. You know, I was like that, that did not feel like the same person that, that putted on the fourth green 25 minutes ago. 
Um, and then it was gone. But, you know, that night in the hotel room and the next day, I'm thinking, why, why did that happen? And then, of course, you're, you're, you start, you know, freaking out, going, all right, how do I make sure that doesn't happen again? And do I need to change this? Do I need a new putter? Do I need to change my grip? Do I need to? And all of those things, now looking back on it, was the absolute worst thing you could do because then you're trying to teach yourself something new that probably doesn't need to be fixed. It's just, it's more of, uh, and again, I didn't know this then. Um, it didn't matter what putter, it didn't matter what grip, it didn't matter any of that. All that mattered was that, uh, that I was, uh, I was scared for whatever reason. And then, uh, but try to, try to change, try to practice and all of those things made it worse because then you're introducing new stuff that, that you've never done or never tried or never put in competition. And, and that, that just, that just multiplies, multiplies, multiplies and, and makes it worse and worse and worse. This has to be so much more prevalent and widespread than, than, than people maybe think. And I think that's what you were getting at earlier. And it's not necessarily just in golf, but whether somebody's going to stand up and speak to a big group or like a musician mm-hmm. who's playing in front of a larger crowd than he or she is used to or whatever, the physiological mm-hmm. effects of, of that sort of panic um, has to be yeah. experienced by a ton of people out there. Hundred percent, hundred percent. There's no question. And you know, I'm um, huge sports fan, obviously. And and you can, I can see it now with with certain people, whether it be golfers or a guy shooting a free throw or a field goal kicker or and um, yeah, same thing in, in in business. You know, public speaking or addressing. Uh, your team in, in, a, in a boardroom or any of those things. Um, yeah, it's, it, it is very prevalent and that's, I don't think I, I don't think I've verbalized it very well earlier, but if, if people in any walk of life can see that it is beatable, can see that there is a way to attack it and to, to get over it, um, that you don't have to go through life like that, then, um, you know, if, if there's one junior golfer that, that my story helps, then I'll, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy. And because it is beatable, it is, uh, able to be, um, pushed down and, and, and beaten. Um, but yeah, it, it, I've had, I, uh, I can't tell you how many people have called asking for, um, Jason's phone number and asking, um, asking these questions. I mean, my peers and some top 100 players in the world rankings of golf, just fighting something similar or a certain part of their game. And, um, yeah, I know Jason, he's, he's drinking from a fire hose right now because his story's out there now and, um, how he, how he went about it and how he's helped people. And, um, I think he's probably as busy as anybody on the planet at the moment in a good way. Okay. Awesome. Awesome stuff there from Lucas, from Jeff Scott, and David Pollock. Very lucky to have those three guys on the podcast this year. Appreciate the support of our sponsors for helping make this happen. And also, thanks most of all, by far, to every one of you for hitting that play button. Happy New Year, everybody. Cheers.